And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi, Seb. Hello, Joe Devine. JJ Ball the Bullet. Hi. Hello. Yes, we're all excited today because day four included four games of varying quality, but mostly high. And we're going to talk about them today. Of course, the first one was Belgium-Canada. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. That's very exciting. Uh, we're also going to hear from our friend, uh, your friend and mine, Adam Leventhal, who's out there in Doha. We'll get to Adam uh, shortly. Um, there'll be uh, some Germany-Japan. Wow, what a game. What a result that was. As everyone in the chat tells me that there's no sound on the audio because of a joke that I made before the podcast began. Now are you worried that actually it's not a joke? And no, there really is no audio? I'm just, I, my bit? faith in internet trolling is restored. I did think it was actually, there was no audio, but I, it means I've truly been trolled. You've been in trolled. In the truest sense yeah. of the word. Even though we already did the thing. Anyway, never mind. Like a good Spain scored seven goals, and we'll talk about that. Probably for around seven minutes, no relation. Mm -hmm. And of course, Morocco, Croatia. Uh, it was a nil-nil, that was, uh, but it was quite a fun game. So uh, we'll uh, talk about that a little bit later on. And if you like it a little bit later on, then you should get The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where at the moment you can get, I think, uh, one pound a month for six months, which is a fantastic deal. For a little bit later on, not Black later Friday on. Friday deal as well. Is it? Yes, it is. I think so. There we go. One of the best. One of the greatest. So uh, very exciting. <laughs> you checking that you can hear. <laughs> the trolls have got to They've producer got to Jamie. He's, right he's held his Jamie's laptop skin. speaker up to his ear to double check <laughs> that we can be heard. How, he's so rude, people in the comments. Anyway, of course, if you're confused and you're listening to this as an audio on your uh, mobile device or laptop uh, computer, then uh, you might be wondering, what are they talking about? Well, of course, we're on YouTube. We're live streaming this in the immediate aftermath of the final game of day four. And if you're listening today and you think, well, I want to see also, A, that's wrong, but B, you can by visiting us on the TIFO IRL. Uh, all game days after, from about 9pm 9, 9 GMT, or well, basically when the, the final game ends, JJ. Yes, that's correct. It's very good to see our lovely tactics boards. We can do all sorts of fun things with them. Yes. I can write messages. You can write messages. Have you written one? Not yet. Okay, maybe later. Yes. The eagle-eyed amongst you will spot those messages. But again, that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That was maybe the best advert we've ever done. That's yeah, pretty good. That was very slick. Okay, uh, for the time being then, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of, a little bit later, Mr. Adam Leventhal. Let's begin the podcast with Belgium 1, Zero Canada. Uh, this was actually quite an exciting game, wasn't it, Seb? It was very end-to-end. -end. I enjoyed it. I think it was probably a good game for maybe an hour, and then it got a little bit ragged. And I think we certainly saw the best of Canada in the first 45 minutes. We saw them in a very dynamic, creating a lot of chances. I think the last time I checked, they had about 24 shots in the game, which is remarkable. Mm. Never quite produced that one chance they needed to um, to unlock the Belgian defence. But it was, um, 
Yeah, we were talking a lot about the the defence that Roberto Martin has sent out to face the Canadians' pace, and it was um, a combined age of about 300. Yeah. But actually, they did pretty well. Between them, Aldevaro, Vertonghen, and Leander Dandonka, um, they have their limitations, and there is um, there are clearly vulnerabilities with those three players, yes. But given those and accepting that, I think they did quite well individually. Yeah. And um, JJ made a very pertinent point towards the end of the game. First yard is in the head. And I think that's kind of well, indeed. the I mantra mean, for the evening. Let's maybe. talk about that because, of course, you know, Belgium's golden generation is perhaps is perhaps coming to an end, JJ. Hazard, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, uh, as Seb mentioned there, some ageing players. They've, they've, you know, one might look at that and say, well, you've maybe missed your, your chance. Um, what do you think about that? Well, the thing with Belgium's golden generation is that it, it was they've had loads of good players who haven't all been at their peak at the same time. Yeah. So when you think you had Alderweireld and Vertonghen were about 27, 10 years ago, that was when they were at their peak. Yeah. And other players, I know how time works <laughs> and years. But now you have, unfortunately, Lukaku who's now well, he's sort of injured. He definitely is injured. That's why he's not playing. Uh, but other players, I can't think of any of the other ones who are now not playing anymore. Dries Martins is not because he's a bit older. He's in his 30s now, yeah. Exactly, um, he's like 35 yeah. or something, mid-late, mid-36. But yeah. then basically you've got players who relied on their pace, not relied, but made use of it, now aren't as fast as they once were. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's players, they have good players in that team. And the, the team today, I mean, Eden Hazard hasn't played hardly at all in La Liga for Real since he moved there. He just can't get out of these injury problems that he's got. So he was taken off having done mostly nothing. De Bruyne was the best player on the pitch for them by, by miles, I would have said. But they're missing players. I mean, Courtois is obviously a very good player. What they're really missing is slightly younger centre-backs maybe to give them some pace. Mm. Uh, they don't have a lot of pace up top either. So, they, I mean, Batshuayi scored a goal by a long ball, just punted up from the goalkeeper in behind the high line of Canada. But they're missing... Yeah, what I'm trying to say basically is they've not all had the best players around at the same time. Yeah. So, and it now seems to be like the the real key ones are moving on now you've got players on the bench that could come through like I can never say his name right De Catelier De Catelier I think is um, De Catelier De Catelier yeah. Charles De Catelier yeah. yes, yes that's the one and Leandro Trossard he's not young though is he he's like 25 26. yeah I mean he's yeah he's in his mid 20s he's, he's in his prime though he's yeah. in his form age he sure is yeah. he sure is you've got Count Doku <clears throat> from Star Wars on the bench you can come on you know what's yes. remarkable is that a country of 11 million people produced uh, a golden age God generation in the first place yeah. and actually like even before Belgium produced good players sort of um, Mark Wilmot's going back a little bit further Enzo Schifo uh, Mikhail Prudhomme was one of the great goalkeepers of the 1980s like it's an amazing thing and like we've, we've kind of they're so far in that dark horse territory now Belgium yeah. that we kind of it's almost become a cliche but it's like it's not quite Uruguay but it's pretty remarkable I think it, that's true be because if now, you think like they won this tournament because they're, they're not quite there yeah. and you saw it today yeah. like there's a lot of distance between the defence and, the, and the, the forward line they don't really control games the way they're supposed to and teams have worked out like Canada if you press them then you can get joy out of them they still control games in qualifying they're still yeah. good in qualifying and they are still good that's the thing but they're just not there's just something lacking there and I wonder it's they seem like a very Roberto Martinez team <laughs> do you know like it's, yeah, they, yeah. They, they can play really well between the boxes they've got good finishers when they can uh, they can score goals but there's something Empt, uh, I don't know what it is. There's a vulnerability to Roberto Martinez's football, which has always been there. Like when you when you when you dive beyond the kind of the superficial glossiness and the talent, there's always a slight vulnerability somewhere to be found. And there's a kind of a not a shakiness. Maybe that's a bit unfair, but um, 
yeah, there's something that, um, there's a fragility. Here's, here's a question to put to you from Mad Intellect in the chat. Um, in terms of Belgians, uh, Belgium's golden generation, apart from two or three players, says Mad Intellect, which I assume we're talking about Lukaku, De Bruyne, uh, Alderweireld, etc. The rest are so overrated, says this, uh, this person. What do you, what do you make of that? I think that's a little bit harsh because I think whenever you create, when you have a generation where you create genuinely exceptional players, De Bruyne has been an exceptional player. Alderweireld has been, uh, Vertonghen has been, I would say that um, Witzel for a long time was too. Um, you kind of cast a shadow on some of the others and you forget how good a player someone like, for instance, Yannick, uh, Yannick Carrasco is. Mm. I know he never quite got to the top of European football, but he's played around that level for a very long time. And also think about guys like uh, Maron Fellaini. I know he got pilloried and he was a little bit of um, you know, a punchline during um, Jose Mourinho's time at Manchester United, but still a very, very good player. Mm. And in people like Thomas Vermaelen, Jason Denier, Thibaut Courtois, Simon Mignolet, Vincent Company. Christian Benteke, you know, like, yeah, yeah Vincent Company is a great example. Like, there's been a lot of really good players. But then, and Martinez has this this uh, thing where he likes to play players in certain positions so he can get his best players in because it makes sense on paper. Mm -hmm. But there's always vulnerabilities to those um, when they actually play like Dendonker tonight I mean fine because they're you know the whole back line was in trouble because of Canada he's played centre back before I think you were saying for Wolves but yeah. I've only ever seen him play centre mid it's kind of an emergency that, that exactly he's not, yeah. he's not a, a central defender in the same way that Sergio Busquets is not they're sure. different players to be clear yeah. Yeah. But, I mean you look at the 2018 team that Belgium had when they were called like the dark horses of the World Cup actually they were one of the best teams in it Yeah, and that, like the team went back from like from goalkeeper onwards Courtois so he's obviously one of the best goalkeepers in the world today he was good then Company, one of the best defenders that Belgium will ever have, one of the best yep. players in Europe at the time. Mm. Alderweireld, key player, Vertonghen played alongside about left back. He can tuck in because then he had Hazard at his peak on the left. Thomas Meunier? Uh, no, it was Nasser Chadley. He was playing the semi final against France. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then you had like Moussa Dembele, who was excellent. He was such an underrated Brilliant player. Player. He was yeah. underrated. Brilliant. Fellini, sure enough. Yeah. And then De Bruyne playing off the other places. Basically, they had a really good team. They really did. And they got to the semi final of the World Cup in 2018. Yeah. So, so not like they underperformed. I think for them to reach there, the size of Belgium, is, is it bigger than Scotland? Is it smaller? Yeah, it's 11 million people. And also look at the team. How many you got in Scotland? I don't know. I think it's maybe five. If, if, if you go back through those tournaments. Just look, five people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at the team. <laughs> Two of them work Belgium here. <laughs> like the, Belgium have, the Belgian golden generation have lost to some of the, you know, um, a succession of teams who have gone on to win tournaments in which they've been taking part. So it's not like they've, you know, done in England and, you know, uh, underperformed consistently, sort of lost in 2014, lost in 2016. Mm. They've lost a really, really good side and by narrow yeah. margins too. Five, Five million, million in Scotland, Scotland we yeah. say. So theoretically, you should have at least half of one Kevin De Bruyne. Well, we've got Andrew Robertson, Kieran Tierney. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Patterson and Calvin Ramsey, these are all fullbacks. You like the fullbacks you in love Scotland, love a fullback in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, Callum McGregor's quite good. That's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, any other good ones? That's all I need. Maybe you need Roberto Martinez. How about that? There was another comment in the chat about Roberto Martinez, someone uh, suggesting that uh, Roberto Martinez has wasted Belgium's golden generation. I mean, do you, do you think that, you, you just mentioned they're getting semi-final in 2018 is, is a great achievement for, for you know, well, a the team players that they comes have from a country that, that size. But like, to sort of assume what the question might be there, like have they actually wasted it? Mm. I think... Teams who tend to win tournaments tend to play tournament football. So they play what Carl Anker calls suffer ball, where you play to beat teams in transition or off mistakes and you're very defensive. Yeah. Belgium are defensive in possession. Like they control games by keeping the ball. But 
I think they don't try and play in transition and exploit errors that the opposition makes. Yeah. Which is maybe where they might have fallen short. I can't remember how they played in that tournament, no. So I might be making this up. But I always it, that's why I think they're a Martinez team is they are very pretty, keep the ball um, all very nice, but they don't maybe exploit the opponent. And that's sometimes what gets you the edge. I mean, I think we're talking about Belgium an awful lot, but I mean, Canada really took... Well, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I want to talk about Canada because I thought they were certainly in the first half. They were very, very exciting. Um, they were, you know, they were great to watch. It's a tough group for Canada to be in because obviously we talk about Belgium reaching a semi-final in 2018. Croatia did too, uh, and they're also in this group. And Mor- Morocco are not an easy team to beat. Um, we also spoke about Belgium's golden generation potentially coming to an end. Seb, Canada, on the <laughs> other hand sort of coming into a nice new generation of their own, as part of which they have at least one, you know, capital letters star player in yeah. Alfonso Davies, um, but also Jonathan David, uh, Stephen Estacchio. I mean, like, they've got a nice team and they played, they, they unsettled Belgium regularly in this game. Yeah, I think what's good about this Spanish, this Spanish team, this Canadian team is in the past, like, they've always been the odd Canadian player. So someone like uh, Jonathan de Guzman, for instance, or... Going back a bit further, uh, Thomas Rosensky. You remember the old um, Everton centre forward? I think it also spent some time at Fulham. Now, and I think as we watched it together, all of us were kind of taken by a couple of players that we hadn't really seen before. You've mentioned Stephen um, Istakio. Um, like I think Buchanan looks a really good player. Yeah. Club, he plays for Club Rouge in Belgium. Um, Miller at centre back looked uh, really excellent. I really enjoyed watching him. He looked um, he looked excellent in a proper old school centre half sort of way. Um, yeah. He was, um, it was really kind of a bold performance. It was very proactive, I thought, as well. Um, and when you have a kind of, when you have a group of players together like that, you have an opportunity. And I suppose what I will say is like, I, I, I'm not, I'd be interested to see how Canada fare in the other two games in this group, because it always felt like this game with the attributes that they have. And now whatever else Canada have, they have pace and they have pace in a lot of these attacking positions. And that matched up really nicely with some of Belgium's deficiencies. I don't quite know why Roberto Martinez um, has decided not to kind of um, to, to generate um, a new defence for this generation and is stuck for so long with players who have kind of faded from the European scene a little bit. Alvaro and Vertonghen clearly have, have kind of, um, I think they're both back, back playing in Belgium now. Um, Vertonghen left Benfica about six months ago, so I think they're both there. Um, and the, clearly their best days are a long way behind them. And so you could see this coming. We said this morning, actually, like you've got... Um, you know, first of all, you've got the adrenaline of the first game uh, in a World Cup for um, nearly 40 years. Um, Canada haven't been to a World Cup since 86. You've got the kind of, um, it very much seemed like um, the uh, Canada had the majority of the crowd, certainly the neutral support too. I love the VAR chance. The VAR chance. Cool. So basically what I'm saying is conditions were kind of aligned for them to perform and, and they were great for a long period of time. But I'm, I'm still, I don't know how well this team is going to hold up to um, examinations that are coming in the, yeah. in the next few days. So I let, mean, they see. were really good, though. They were frustrating, I found them, to watch because they created so many yeah. opportunities. I would expect their XG would be f- fairly high for the game, even though I spent you know a long time with John yesterday talking about how a single game XG is a complete waste of time. Yeah. And I know someone who will get upset with me for bringing that up. But anyway, um, they... They create a lot of chances. They just didn't finish them. I mean, to be fair, that applies to both teams. It felt like this game could have had a lot more goals in it because of how open it was. What, what, what do you think of Canada, JJ? Well, I think what we saw with Belgium is that a lot of players who are getting slightly older and aren't very athletic, but do play, they're very clever players. I mean, Vertonghen and Alderweireld are still clever players. Vitzel's a clever player, but they're slow. Yeah. Whereas Canada have a team basically of athletes. They're really quick. They hoil it, uh, David, Buchanan, Davies, all super quick box to box and then what you had 
Yeah, well, I think Canada are decent. I like that they've got this generation. So like Jonathan David, um, Alfonso Davies are two of the best players they've really probably ever had. And this uh, Eustachio, really impressed with this guy. He was great. Didn't he know much really about him before today. Nothing about him at all. And now we've looked into him and I think he's brilliant. Yeah. But they did this thing that was really brave against Belgium. I'll try and show you on the board. If you're watching on the live stream, you'll see this. Podcast listeners can't. But what um, Belgium ended up doing was having their back three with uh, Alex Witz, uh, Axel Witzel was kind of on his own in midfield because Tielemans would push up maybe a little bit further. But Canada were really aggressive and they pushed players up super high really early to the point they almost had no midfield. So they're trying to pin back these Belgian wing backs. And uh, Alfonso Davies was starting on as a left wing back, but he was coming aside an awful lot and, and helping swap his Hoyle up front, things like that. Lots of rotations. But then you had Eustachio was a bit further forward as well, helping to keep them involved. Hutchison was not far off him. Let's draw a line, don't need to draw. But it basically left the back three quite isolated. So there's just no midfield as of, you know, you can't really see a midfield in uh, Canada's team. And it's like, you don't need to have one. But it's what Canada did well with this, this is aggressive and forced them back. And Canada, uh, Belgium struggled to play out. But like we saw with Argentina and Saudi Arabia yesterday, the big thing for me was that for a long time, what, what Argentina had was similar to this. They had no midfield. They basically had Messi on his own outside a front line of about six players with the wrong team here. But uh, yeah, basically one guy in his own with a front line of about five or six and then a player's really deep. So they couldn't apply any pressure and keep uh, to keep sustained pressure up because as soon as they lost the ball, the opposition could ping it up the pitch and they'd have to build slowly again and get it back up to these wide areas. But Canada didn't mind that because the ball came back to them and then they were just able to slow it down, slow it down, pass from side to side with the bunks to centre-backs. Belgium slowly push up, which then creates that high line in behind. And then they can pump the ball over the top for someone like David or Davies or yeah. Pilot to get in behind. It's really clever. Tactically, they were really interesting. I mean, you kind of made the point during the game that, you know, game changers change games. That's a stupid thing to say. That, that's not what you said. I didn't say that to No, clear. I said that and that's stupid. <laughs> said that. But, um, but, you know, back, back to why, uh, for, for, you know, like a relatively average performance throughout the game, he took the opportunity when it came and scored a good goal. And Canada's forwards didn't do that, even though I think they probably created more chances. Well, I think Canada were much better, like, uh, athletically, physically. They were faster, they had more energy, they had more aggression, but they made the wrong decisions. Not to say their technique wasn't good. I mean, some of the stuff Davies was doing, especially, and uh, Eustachio in the middle of the pitch was excellent, technically. But they were making the wrong decisions, whereas I think Belgium mostly made the right decision, just the technique let them down almost sometimes. Yeah, that one De Bruyne pass... Uh, aside when when they're in on goal and there was um i think it was um might have been tillemans to the right uh, yeah available it might have been the other way around, i remember it was it? like he ran from like sort of deep yeah ran was, through and then he had a player i think maybe castagna and the free yeah that's completely it, free on the right yeah yeah, yeah. And they couldn't get through to him yeah i mean he should probably should have made that pass yeah. but then yeah but, but Bacuayi is a, is a tricky player to analyze because he is often in the right position and makes the right runs but then doesn't it's very frustrating and like you saw the chance that he missed in the box so De Bruyne teed him up with a ball that went across the box and he had space and time because he'd made a clever run right to the edge of the box of a high XG value shot but he waits for it to come to him he almost doesn't trust that he needs to rush it then the defender gets in slides in and blocks it and celebrates because he gets blocked when he should definitely definitely have gone towards the ball you move towards the ball you can't just wait in that situation mm. but it's like his, he's aware at all points apart from when he's in the box and needs to it's like that's when things become blurry to him. Everything else, he's quite clear. His movements are good. He makes like pre-movements before he makes a movement. So he, he'll send the defender one way before he goes and makes a space. Mm. I, I think what's confusing about him is that every now and again, he has a hot spell in his career. So 
remember when he went to Dortmund on loan when he was still at Chelsea yeah. in the Bundesliga and he had a really good, I think about six months when he was pretty prolific. Um, he was okay for Palace, for instance. He had a not such a bad time in Turkey either. And so it's very confusing. You don't quite know how to evaluate him as a forward. And then when you see a moment like that, inevitably you compare him to Lukaku. I think we were saying towards the end of the game, if Lukaku was fit and if Lukaku was in the form that he was in two and a half years ago, this looks very different, I think. The space um, in behind for De Bruyne and Lukaku would have 100%. been a 3 nil game probably. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, just a quick word on John Herdman, yeah. uh, who, of course, is the is he the first coach to coach uh, in the Men's World Cup and the yeah. Women's World Cup? Yeah, so he coached um, New Zealand women. He also then coached uh, Canada's women in the 2015 Women's World Cup when they were eliminated by, I think, England. Mm. Apologies if I got that wrong. I think it was England. Um, I remember him giving a very emotional interview because um, that World Cup was actually held in Canada. And he felt like he disappointed the nation because um, Canadian, mm. the women's Canadian football team is a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, he's made the transition. I, I've been really impressed by him. He um, He's an interesting guy. Like I remember in that 2015 World Cup, the first time I saw him, he was giving a team talk with a, with a tactics board with magnetic um, counters on the side of the pitch with a pair of sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I don't know, yeah, it was weird. But um, he's done amazing things with Canadian football. And um, on the one hand, yes, you've got to have the talent. But also you've got to form it into something. You've got to create something that people want to be part of. Yeah. And um that's a that's a that's a big problem for for, for teams like Canada. But you've got to make sure that um players want to be part of that environment. And very clearly this group does. Yeah. And um their success is plain to see. They were excellent in qualifying. Okay, um, cool. And they're good tonight too. Yeah, they were good. Um before we move on, a comment in the chat from Peter Carroll who says, uh, nobody talks about the Dutch in the same fashion, having impressive golden generations, but disregarding the current crop. A country with the population size of London has continually produced mm. quality. Yeah, uh, it's a very, very fair point. I just think that sort of the culture of Dutch football is discussed a lot more than, than um, yeah. that in the Belgian game. And also, if you think about um, the reach of Dutch football through not just the players, but the coaching and the ideology is just far broader. Yeah, the 1974 um, team it's, didn't It's still win. referenced today. Yeah. Even people that weren't born before that happened regularly reference Johan Cruyff and sure. Total Football. And, you know, it's it's just a different type of issue, I think. The, the, the population size is probably, you know, not the... Uh... It's a remarkable success story, but I think we've been conditioned just to forget about the size of the country mm. and just look at kind of and evaluate... Uh, evaluate Dutch teams in the way that we do English teams or German teams or Italian teams. And so maybe that is a bit unfair, but that's the nature of being, um, of having such a rich footballing culture. It's just, that's the price of it, I think. I also, I want to point out that, that I should have uh, fact-checked the comment before I read it aloud. The Netherlands population is actually uh, 17 and a half million. It's there's still certainly, Yeah, but there's still certainly not 17 and a half million people in London. That's two Londons. No, no London is about 8 million people and the UK yeah. has about 80 million people in it, I think. Um uh, but obviously, like Holland is not uh, the Netherlands, is not Germany. Um, the UK has, uh, I believe, it's sixty-eight million people. Is it really? I'm pretty sure, Seb. But let's find out let's live. Let's find out live. That chat. would be really good audio Why do content. I'll tell you a story about when oh, it was the holidays. Yes, sixty-seven point three three million well people. Done. Okay, my, so my apologies. I was on holiday once. When I was a teenager in France with one of my friends, and uh, one of the days it's like a campsite thing in France. And one of the days they held a football tournament between different countries, like a Eurostyle tournament. So. Mm. Uh, me and him and some other people end up in the Scotland team and then there was others from England and France and, and Netherlands and what I liked about it was that the different countries genuinely played in different ways really like the Scottish ones were awful <laughs> and the Dutch ones were so technically good yeah. I remember it then I was like that is crazy that it's really that much different that I noticed it that they were just they were exactly the well, same it starts age. early doesn't it I guess yeah that's the thing like in, I mean 
when I grew up playing football in Scotland, no one was very good. The ones who were good were good because they could run away from the other kids yeah. <laughs> and shoot from distance. Sure. But it's now what you want really is people who can control the ball and pass, 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 pass. Yeah. Lovely technique. I always remember, is it Stephen Hendry? That's the snooker player. Oh, you mean Connor Hendry? Colin with Hendry. With the big blonde hair. Yeah. With the big Mother. blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah. Just both, because both of the hair. Yeah. The Blackburn Rovers centre half. Yeah. 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 He was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of cool, let's move on from Belgium, Canada now, and let's hear from. Uh, I believe we all need to put our headphones Ooh, on okay. at this moment in time. Let's let's take a moment to put our headphones on. And now that we're all settled and comfortable, um, let's hear from Adam Leventhal, who is in Doha at the moment, and uh, sent us a lovely message earlier to check in and tell us a bit about the the atmosphere uh, at the stadiums. Hi there, Tifo. I thought I'd just check in as I'm uh, out at another game here at the World Cup, which is an absolute privilege. Um, some games haven't had much of an atmosphere, as you would have seen on the TV back at home. But this one appears as if it will. I'm at the Al Tumama Stadium between Spain and Costa Rica. And there's a really good atmosphere. It's been, it's been quite sort of strange at times walking up to stadiums and basically feeling like you might be going to a, a pre-season friendly or something like that. But tonight and then last night when I was at the 974 stadium, the Mexican fans were exceptional. From the point of view of covering the tournament in general, it's been interesting being in a place where you know you can go to a lot of games. And the distances between the stadiums has been minimal. So it's actually been of benefit, but also... Just broke off for a little bit of uh, Spanish fans getting ready for the game. It has been a benefit, but there's also so much to do. There we go. That was Adam Leventhal. I love the way Adam Leventhal says, the Mexican fans. That really made me chuckle. Um, but lovely to hear from Adam. I bet he had a good time at that game. There were seven goals in that game. We're going to talk about that Sounds a little like bit it, later. Um, but this is a quick reminder that if you want to follow Adam um, and uh, other of the athletics journalists in Doha, you can do. There's a morning live stream uh, that's being run uh, by The Athletic and it's on their Twitter feed, you'll find it there. I think you'll find it on YouTube as well. Also featuring Carl Anker, Kiva O'Neill. I think Michael Bailey's on it tomorrow morning, a TIFO friend. Um, so go and check that out. And Adam is there every morning. There's lots of all sorts of interesting stuff that they're getting up to in Doha. And mainly, it's just quite interesting to see what it's actually like there. I can't, I'm, yeah. a bit, I'm at the point now where I'm a little bit jealous that I'm not there because I think we, we have lots of colleagues that are. And I'm kind of curious to feel what's happening because it seems like again i think there's a mixture isn't there different games different sort of atmospheres yeah i spoke to matt slater earlier when he was in the press box for the germany japan game and he was talking about just firstly uh, how few german fans there were there but also how loud the the, the japanese supporters were and they had drums in there and the singing and um yeah very much a neutral favorite so it seems to be doesn't seem to be a, a fixed rule for what the atmosphere is like at these individual games so it's good to be able to check with colleagues uh, first hand, I think. Mm, yes, yes. Okay, cool. Well, let's have a little break now. And when we come back, we'll carry on discussing football. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yes, returning now. Uh, we've had a lovely break there. Um, there'll be another one of those later. Look forward to that. But for now, let's discuss Germany 1 to Japan. Wow. That was a bit of a surprise set, wasn't it? Sure was, Joe. It sure was. Although I, I think, yes, the result was a surprise, but the way it happened probably wasn't. Germany came into the tournament with all kinds of concerns about the defence. Yes. Um, this, is the, this is the key thing with Germany. The theme coming into it is obviously lots and lots of fantastic tech, uh, players, but some German fans concerned about defence before. I mean, was, were those fears realised today? Absolutely. I think um, if you look back over the past couple of years of the German international team, um, seeing so many different centre-back combinations and full-backs used, so many different sort of um, variations, and there's never been a formula that has probably worked. In addition to which, I still think that Mats Hummels is probably Germany's best defender, and he is still back in Germany. Yeah. Hansi Flick did not pick him, didn't sort of um, I seem, seemingly sending him into international retirement. Um, today, started with Nico Schlotterbeck um, alongside Antonio Rudiger with uh, Nicolas Sule playing at fullback, which is fine. I have no problem with that in principle. Sule is a perfectly serviceable fullback. He just doesn't look like one. He's actually a very skillful player. He's massive, so he looks like he should be a centre-half, but he's mobile, quick, skillful, gets forward, um, good defender. Trouble is, for both Sule and Schlotterbeck, is they have not had good years at Dortmund. And one of the last games they played before leaving for the World Cup was... Um, an absolutely chaotic defeat at Borussia Mönchengladbach where every time Gladbach went forward, somehow they managed to get caught behind the ball and they were sort of, they were shown chasing Marcus Turan back towards their own goal, which is not going to work very well. And I don't think you can pin the defeat purely on either of them. I think if you look at the second goal, um, specifically Rudiger's positioning probably uh, hangs Schlotterbeck out to dry a little bit still think he should be a little bit tougher in the tackle because I don't think that shot should ever get away. It's a mm. little bit meek and mild. And um, yeah, so I I think I think back in Germany, people would be upset, but not hugely surprised. Um, mm. I had a quick look at the German press just after the game and there was some, um, well, wasn't happy. Um, sure. But it will just be a continuation of conversations and debates which have been happening for years now. You'd be uh, surprised if they were happy. That would be an interesting well, twist, wouldn't it? If, uh, you know... Germany lose their opening World Cup game to Japan and then the German newspapers say, happy, happy day. Well, you, you say that, but actually, I mean, German football has become a little bit fatalistic because they've suffered two really, well, one humiliating World Cup exit in the group stages in 2018, a very poor performance in the Euros when they got knocked out pretty easily by England um, 18 months ago. And I don't think, I think a lot of German fans are sort of more focused on 2024 when Germany will will host the next European Championship. And so there's a bit of kind of, I'm not sure whether German football, German football fans do do mongering in quite the same way that sort of British football fans do, but there's a little bit of a sense of that. So I don't think mm. it's um, sky is falling stuff, but certainly really, really disappointing. And okay. 
yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. Well, okay, Seb's talked there about uh, Germany's sort of just defensive woes, JJ. But um, Japan's second half substitutions really exposed those, didn't they? Yes, in the second half, Japan did something different to what they did in the first half. Oh, we covered it in the video on TIFO IRL. You can see that. Um, yes, but I can show you again. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> on the live stream. So basically in the first half, Japan, we're playing a 4-2-3-1, same as Germany, but they do it in very different ways. Germany more attacking because they get uh, David Round very high up. So then they get Muziala from the left inside, like an inside forward. So Round goes to the left back to be a left winger. Muziala comes inside. Havertz is the central forward along with Muller who can play either side of him. They can kind of dovetail and swap when you want. Gnabry can play alongside them to form a little diamond if they all play in the same sort of area. But then what you get is that Gnabry can also play on the on the outside. And Japan, to try and stop them causing those problems, played a very deep, compact 4-4-2. So they're trying to block very deep. Basically, they, they engage at midfield around about the middle of the pitch, the centre circle, because they knew that to, when Germany opened up in the way they've drawn the board, uh, they're going to leave space in behind. So Gunduan and Kimmich would try and be either ahead of this, the forwards or just in between them in this line so that then they could try and circulate the ball or join into attacks if they wanted to so they have an extra man in attack. Then your centre-back split as a three. So Sula is a centre-back who can play it right back but you basically form a three with either Kimmich or Gunduan making a diamond between them. So they had a very attacking play but obviously this creates loads of space in behind for players like Kubo, or uh, Ito or Kamada or Maeda to attack on the counter. And they almost scored a goal in the first half from winning a, mm. a thing on the counter. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying this, Joe. And then in the second half, what happened was it changed the shape. They took off Kubo. He went away and on came Tomiyasu, which changed everything. So suddenly they had a back three, which meant that they had wingers, got the wrong players in the wrong places. It doesn't really matter. And then that meant that Raum suddenly had someone on him the entire time. So he couldn't be the extra man because they were getting him in behind quite a lot. Uh, and that changed the way that Germany had to play, basically. And then that meant that Japan were playing with a four th- or 3-4-3, changed the substitutes, the, 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 the put substitutes on, basically, to give them a bit more pace and whatever, and changed the, changed the game. But by the end of it, they had Ito at a right wing back, who's basically a winger. So they had a quite attacking team. And then they brought on Doan, and they brought on Minamino, and they brought on uh, the guy who scored, whose name must have escaped me, Asano, up front. And then the first goal they score, they have about five players in the box when they actually score. So the mm. players getting right forward um, to basically to attack Germany really quickly, making use of the, of the space that they've got at the back now from Germany, who really switched off. Because the key to me, actually, rather than this tactical change from Japan, was that they took Ilke Gundogan off and he was controlling everything. He was Germany's best player. I me. thought so too. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. the one that almost got caught for the counterattack. Yeah. But I think the thing is, when you're trying to play this and you're trying to like control a team who wants to counter against you. Gundogan's so good in tight spaces and knowing where the next pass should go that as soon as you take him off and you put on, it was Goretzka, wasn't it, who have not got here. Yep. But Goretzka came on more of, of a box-to-box player. And they're trying to get someone who could, I guess, break into the box and be a bit bigger to try and then attack the, the Japanese like last line. Uh, but that made them lose control of it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it was a little bit also, I think, with Goretzka, I think Flick was trying to recreate the, the Bayern dynamic like Kimmich obviously dropping deep and orchestrating the play. Goretzka playing as a kind of an, an eight. Um, you know, some of the goals he scores for Bayern Munich are the kind of knockdowns, like breaking into space in the penalty box, those kind of opportunities. So I understand the logic. It just didn't work. What do you make of Rudiger when he's chasing that ball back to see it out for a goal kick and does the silly run? Do you think he's just been a bit fun or do you think it's kind of that sort of sign that they're letting... I don't know. I, I, think it, I think he's just a quirky guy. I don't... 
I don't sort of read too much into it. I think we've seen things that are quite similar from him before, mm. but I don't, I don't know. I mean, to ascribe a kind of a motive or a, a meaning to it feels like a little bit of a, a, a jump, but it was weird. Because I wonder if, they, I mean, I surely didn't do anything to them, but annoying you if someone does that, it's almost like they're taking the mick out of you. But they also yeah. said that, like Kubo said at halftime, or well, after the game, he said at halftime, uh, they were talking about how they saw Saudi Arabia beat Argentina yeah. and they got inspiration from that. So they, <laughs> I can see some of these comments going Sorry. Down. So they go, you got to stop looking at them when I'm talking. It's so distracting. <laughs> I think, I think with Rudiger, I think, um, I don't mind the sort of the, uh, the theatrics and the kind of, um, the quirks in his personality. I just think he's quite an erratic player. He's very active in a way that sort of, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the, 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 the defensive ideal for a centre half is to be composed, never go to ground, to um, to read the play, to see danger before it even develops, that kind of stuff. Rudiger isn't really that guy. Uh, he's a very, very good footballer. I think when you when you see him carry the ball forward, he's um, he's a real asset. I think he is. You see a lot of movement with him and a lot of reactionary defending, and and that's always. I don't know. That's the way I view him, and I just think it's. There's no problem with that. I just think it means that you have to have a very specific type of partner alongside you for that defence to work, and he didn't really have that today. That's very interesting conversation that we just had there. Thank you very much for that. Now uh, Germany, of course, losing this game, it's making the group a little tough for them. And on Sunday they play Spain. Seb, mm. is there a chance here? That, I mean, a bad result there. I mean, it wouldn't be all over. It wouldn't necessarily be all over, but it would start to make Germany's chances of quali qualification look very complicated. Could be all over, uh, potentially. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean, if, if Japan win and Germany lose, then they are out. That is the maths. Uh, yeah, so very, very difficult. I, I what, what's the and question? You would assume that Japan <laughs> will beat Costa Rica. Based on what we saw today, yes, I think so. I wasn't... In which case, Germany <laughs> have to get a result out of Spain. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think there's going to be some changes. I, I don't, I don't quite trust the Spain result. I think that's fair because I think Costa Rica were pretty bad. Mm -hmm. I think also Germany are capable of being far better than they were today. Yeah, uh, I think they've got the ability and the talent to to be so. I was just a little bit concerned by some of the substitutions, and I thought it was quite strange to take Misiala off and replace him with Gertz. So I think Gertz has had a good Bundesliga season. Misiala is head and shoulders a better player now. Mm. Um, I also. Um, no disrespect to Nicholas Fulkrug at all because his story is great. He was playing this Vida Bundesliga football last season with Werder Bremen and is is now in the Germany squad. That's, that's a great story. I find it um, concerning that he's the first attacking change or the kind of the alternative to Kai Havertz in Hansi Flick's mind. I think um, Yusuf Mikuku is uh, going to be an extraordinary player one day. I think he's already a really good one. Mm. Uh, he would have been um, a better option, I think. So it's well, going to be... Something made, made them worse... That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. It, and it was. And is that a hindsight thing, or is that would you would you have genuinely made different choices? I really thought. I really think they thought they had a lockdown, and I didn't think it looked safe at that point because yeah. Japan was starting to come back into it. it honestly, it, as soon as Gundogan went off, someone else came off as well. I can't remember who it was. Did Hoffman come on for someone? I can't remember. They made two changes. One of them was Gundogan, and the game tipped then for me. For me, Clive. Right. I, I think in Clive. theory, I like the Gretzka change, but just because I think it's based on the muscle memory of seeing that work and seeing teams of Gretzka in it be better mm. but that didn't really work because we, we talked about the Gundogan problem um everything else was a bit hard to justify and I think I think um Hansi Flick will have a, a tricky old time with the German media okay. in the next couple of days definitely okay well worth pointing out it's always interesting to make these sort of uh um you know assessments we've got no idea what goes on in the dressing room or who was fit or who wasn't or why decisions, decisions were made so I will uh you know say now on behalf of all of us here we don't know 
But there you go. Hey, will you cheer me up by doing your Wayne Rooney thing again? Rooney! Oh, isn't that it's, nice? It's always good, that. Oh, it's always good, that. I love that. And once more? Well, it's better when it comes in the middle of a sentence we don't expect it. Okay, so at some point... At some point before the end of this podcast, you'll yeah. surprise us with a Rooney. I bet that's probably peaked the, uh, the old wavelength there. Uh, I don't think so. Do? I don't think what so. Yeah, do? yeah. I enjoyed it. Let's discuss Spain's 7-0 Costa Rica now, the other two uh, teams in this group. Now, the first question, I suppose, JJ, is are Spain really good or are Costa Rica really bad or as normal when someone asks a question like that? Is it somewhere in the middle? Yes. 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 Costa Rica, I think, are the worst team we've seen so far. And I think they're worse than Qatar. Who's the other bad one? Uh, Iran went great, but Iran we, went we great. think Iran are better than they showed themselves to be. Yeah, yeah. I think Iran are genuinely yeah. good. I think they just had other stuff to deal with at yeah. the time. Uh, I think the difference between Ming, the difference between Qatar and Costa Rica is that uh, Qatar at least tried. Right. Costa Rica let Spain pass them about. I mean, I, they didn't look like they were, they knew what to do for lots of it. They didn't know, maybe they not didn't know. They must know what they're doing. They're so confusing. Well, there they is national football. Yeah. Any, obviously, they're good, decent players. I mean, there's a the thing with, with Costa Rica, a lot of the players played in like, the last two World Cups as well. Yeah. So they've not got. Not exactly got a young generation, but they just didn't put any pressure on Spain whatsoever. So it was easy to pass around them. Spain were great. Like, can't take it away from Spain. And I love watching Spain play. And in my, my research for all the previews and stuff, what I found with Spain was that they were really good. In fact, Liam Tharms said this on his articles as well. Great um, writer, Liam. Yes, yeah. Liam, a very good tactical writer. You should follow him on The Athletic. Absolutely. Uh, also in our tactics previews videos, he's very good. But he was saying how Spain are one of the best teams, if not the best team in the tournament, between the two boxes, but they're very bad at scoring goals. They don't have a real striker. Morata plays and he sees offside every single five minutes and uh, they can often let something in at the back because they're not paying attention. Mm. Uh, and he played Rodri at the back here and next to Laporte because you knew that they were going to have all the ball and they just had like lovely, lovely passing football, like really quick tempo, one and two touch, making the pitch nice and big, making it small and you need to. And Costa Rica just didn't, do anything to them. They didn't try and put... Like, so the thing you saw with Saudi Arabia and even Japan and I think Morocco and Tunisia. Tunisia. A lot yeah. of power. Yeah. A lot of aggression going into these tackles, right? They weren't messing them out. They weren't trying to hurt them, but they're making sure that they knew they were there. As soon as they got the ball, snap into them. A bit them. of that in Canada too tonight as well. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So the ball went out to them. No one got time. And if their touch wasn't perfect or their, you know, little pass inside it wasn't exactly where it was meant to go, they'd lose the ball. Mm. Whereas Costa Rica were like, Meh. Right. Do you think? Do you think it's quite damaging for a team when you have a goalkeeper like Kayla Navas, who is among the best in the world and has been for a really long he time, was, he, and he has a terrible night? Do you think that's quite difficult for you to deal with as a teammate? Because you think this is, you know, it's okay. We we have our we have our safety net. We've got Kayla back there, and he. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen him play worse for Costa Rica. They all um, look so rattled. Yeah, they really did. Like, yeah. I really didn't expect it. I th again, in my research for them, I thought they'd be really all their games would be quite boring and really low scoring because they just block everything off. But that's interesting about this tournament so far is that teams who, I'll call them bad, I don't mean they're bad, which is ones who aren't as good as the best ones, like Costa Rica, Qatar and stuff, rather than sitting deep in this block and inviting everyone to just be able to dominate you and stretch the play and eventually work their way through, a lot of teams are taking their chances and pushing up high, like an aggressive high press. Yeah. Because, I mean, you think you've got three games to play, maybe that'll be all you get. So you might as well use up all your energy. Like, you know, can, can, I, can I suggest a sort of counter perspective though? Yes. If we were footballers and we play for Costa Rica, for example, yes. and we were playing against Spain in the opening game of the 2022 World Cup and Spain scored in the 11th minute and then the 21st minute and then the 31st minute and you realised that there was another 60 minutes left to go, I think my reaction would be to turn the computer game off and go to bed. 
I, I'm also a sulker by nature, so me too, probably, yes. Yeah. I'm not, you, n- not to say that the Costa Rica players no, did turn the computer no, game no. off or did sulk, but, I mean, that must be a tricky psychological position to be in. Yes, but you can get secret goals back by kicking people. Secret kicking goals. Yes, yeah. so like, if you can get someone sent off, that's a good way to... So basically, if you're losing 3-0, but you get the opposition sent off, that counts as all of them. a goal. Yeah. Or at least one. Right. All of them as a real result. What would you remember when in Sensible Soccer when you used to just <laughs> get like six players sent off and then the game was forfeited? Oh yeah, well that, I mean that's what I've when I used to play FIFA all the time. If I was losing, I would just start just hacking fouling. people to death yeah. until they all got sent off. Is that a real rule? Yeah. How many how many is it, Red you Cards? You can have uh you can have seven players on the pitch, but no fewer. Okay. So Obviously, if you were to get another four get red cards, if it's five red cards, and the game is abandoned, the game's yeah. abandoned. Yeah, 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 there yeah. Was and a, they abandoned. Would that would that be then be a nil three? It would be a three nil. Yeah. What if the other team was five goals up and it was a goal difference situation where you needed to have four or, or fewer goals scored against you for you to win the league? I do not know the rule for that. Interesting, huh? Uh, you weren't listening. No. Well, anyway, that's an interesting one. Maybe for you me. found a, an excellent loophole to exploit. Let me ask you something else. Yes, interesting. Indeed. Pedri, yeah. who I'm sure JJ's going to talk about shortly. I love him. Uh, he's 20 on Friday. Yeah. Very exciting. Happy birthday, Pedri, for Friday. Um, and Gavi, yeah. who's 18 and the youngest Spanish player at the World Cup ever, yep. who scored a goal today. Yep. Yeah. They're good. Well, I feel we've talked about Pedri a lot. And yes, clearly he's exceptional. I think what I like about Gavi is beyond the ability and what a great goal. First, his first goal for Spain at a World Cup. What a finish. Uh, He's also a menace. The way he plays is really aggressive. And the way he, um, I think you saw him, there was a um, little confrontation towards the end of the game between him and one of the Costa Rican players who was about eight foot six. And Gavi is kind of, he's a bit scrappy. Mm. He's, uh, he's one of the players that will happily leave his foot in. And I quite like seeing that in a player who's 18. That's quite unusual. Yeah, really what you're saying like is you want, you want a teenager to be aggressive. I don't want him to be, I don't want him to be overwhelmed by the occasion. Definitely not in a World Cup. And he's like this for Barcelona. Ever since he made his debut for Barcelona, he's not afraid to kick people. He's not afraid to be yeah. aggressive and he's not a, afraid to be a bit generally aggro. He's got an attitude to him and it, it's good. It's, it's a positive okay. thing because when you're a skillful player, you're going to get kicked. Yeah. You're going to get punted around the pitch and other players who aren't possibly as gifted are going to try and intimidate you. Do you do see it with, I mean, some of the best players in the world, they all have different ways of dealing with that. Yep. But I think it's fair to say that sometimes when you see a player who seems from the outside to be a bit egotistical or yep. a bit full of themselves, yeah. I always give them a bit of a, a bit of um, leeway there because I think you, you know, that's one way of managing it is to have an enormous amount of self-belief in order to, to maintain your performance level. And, uh, and what comes with that sometimes is, is a little bit of arrogance, JJ Ball. Uh, I think if you are an elite footballer, you're going to have to have a lot of arrogance to get yourself to that point. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. kind of an inevitable thing. I think sure. a lot of them are fairly, they're, they're very driven. This was a nice way to say that. Uh, I need to stop looking at you while I'm talking. I think, yeah, so basically they're going to have to have a lot of arrogance, a lot of determination to be able to get to that um, elite point. I think, Gabby, you see that? I think Pedri is just a beautiful footballer to watch. He can do absolutely everything. He is a pass master. He has mastered the pass. He can do all the passes. There's a game against Italy. It was in the Euros, I think, maybe. In the semi-finals. Was it semi-final? The one they lost on penalties. Yeah, there we go. So Pedri had 55 passes and almost all of them were forward and not a single one was misplaced. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And that's him doing that, whatever that was, a year and a half ago. As we established, it was five months ago. Yes. 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 So, yeah, that's right. Whereas like, so Pedri's more, he's not like Xavi, if you want to be kind of basic and make them what they're, they're more like, because Busquets is still playing with them both. 
But Pedri's more someone who can create from slightly deeper, but can also work between the lines from the midfield line and the forward line and thread something. But he'll receive it in tight spaces and evade a little challenge, and then suddenly he already knows there's someone running off like behind him, like he has eyes on the back of his head, that cliche. But he seems to know. And so he can help play progress really easily, whereas Gavi is more inclined to help directly with the forward line, the very last line. And he receives the ball far more often in the box than... Pedri would. Mm. He's more of an attacking player. And he's played a lot for Barcelona off the left wing as well, like an inside forward. So he starts off the left and comes inside quite a lot. Uh, different kind of player, really tidy. I think they both won the Golden Boy, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah. Gavi won that snow, didn't he? Gavi won it this year, yeah. The Golden Boy. Yeah. yeah. That means he's the most golden. Very exciting. It's always exciting to see young players. Yes. Anyway, um, Spain, 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 Spain. Spain. Mm. Could they win it, Seb? Because I mean, I feel like I often underrate them now mm-hmm. simply because they're not the 2010 team or the 2008 team you know they're, i mean they're very good they're very good it's a perception problem so last night we talked about um olivier Giroud's kind of pr and mm-hmm. how challenging it's been for him to sort of follow thierry Henry for club and country and you know have to deal with kind of the comparisons with someone like karen benzema it's very difficult with spain obviously a different issue because they still play football in a recognizable way and we're talking about um, two very young players who aren't the same as Xavi and Iniesta, but belong in the same sort of style category, I think. That's a sort of a fair comparison to make. Um, and yet there's a bit of kind of what comes after the Lord Mayor's show about it in the sense that it's still not 2010. It's not that ridiculous collection of, of perfect footballers. It's not the Barcelona team that developed under Guardiola and then Tito Villanova. Um, but then I also think that... Um, one of the problems they're going to have to navigate around if they are to win the tournament is like that lack of a number nine or the lack of a, like a, a trusted goal scorer is still possibly something that um, may cost them. They're very, very good tonight. I think um, we're right about Costa Rica not being very good. But then we've seen in other tournaments, um, you know, what happens when you apply pressure to Alvaro Morata when, you know, you suddenly need Luis Enrique to start defending him in public. It's a very mm. difficult place for him to be. Um, can Asensio score enough goals? Can Almo chip in from from midfield? Can Ferran Torres, who actually has been absolutely outstanding in qualifying games, um, I remember a game when the game when Germany um, got absolutely battered by Spain. Torres is brilliant in that game. Um, can he score the goal that puts you through in a quarterfinal in a semi final? I think, like for instance, like that 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 Italy semi final that that you mentioned earlier. I think Spain were the better team in that, and they didn't win it. And that's the kind of situation where, like, if you have a number nine, if you have a goal scorer, then you you, you do. Why you? Why you? <laughs> no, I'm laughing because JJ is drinking and laughing, and that's always if difficult. You, if you have, Listen, we're lots of expensive equipment here. If you're gonna, if you're gonna eject that liquid from your mouth, you need to turn around <laughs> before you do it. Okay, he's got it. He's got it. Yeah. And I think the perception is of a little bit of a hole in the Spanish jigsaw. Yeah. Like you just need that player. <laughs> the Spanish jigsaw. Yeah, because yeah, because if you, if you think about a football team as a, as a jigsaw, like it all fits together perfectly because that's what the old Spanish teams used to do. Everything yeah. was in, in, in perfect balance and harmony. And this one isn't quite. It's just like, we've got a really good player. Let's put him there. Uh, and we've got another really good player. Let's put him there. Let's see if it all works. And you don't like... The 2010 um, Spanish side, you knew what you were going to get. 
I don't think any of us, before we watched this game, I think some of us thought, yeah, it's been going to be good. Yeah. I don't think we thought they'd be quite as convincing as they were. JJ definitely didn't. And we'll come to that okay. when we talk about points are bad. Okay. Um, but uh, thank you, Seb. That was a, that was a, that was a, I, the Spanish jigsaw I like particularly. Yeah, nice. Very jigsaw. nice. Hmm? El Jigsaw. El Jigsaw. El Jigsaw, exactly, yeah. Right, uh, we're going to go for a break now. When we come back, we will talk very briefly about Morocco and Croatia, um, and then we will move on to points are bad. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yes, we're back from our break. And uh, we're going to briefly discuss now Morocco nil, nil Croatia. Now, Morocco, uh, JJ, we knew they were going to be fun, as expected. Croatia, still good in possession, bit of an ageing team. What did, you, what did you make of it? I think uh, what we saw with Croatia is really good in the midfield. Like Modric, Brozovic and Kovic is a really nice midfield. Uh, actually, even start with Josko Vardiol. I tweeted about him earlier. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Mm. He's, I think he's what did I say. He's twenty. Yeah, he's really wonderful. He, he appeared in uh, sensible transfers. Um, yeah. Actually, he 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 came up as a potential pick for many teams needing an outside. Yeah. Oh, but he's been back. been touted as a. I mean, he's sure. like the next Van Dyke, basically. But people thought that for a while. But you just Fantastic. see it. You see it this tournament. He played left back, I think, in the Euros. Was it? Yeah, he he's gone between the two. He'll play as this left centre back for his club, yeah. RB Leipzig, and he. He's um actually hasn't had such a great season in Germany, but he's um he's a terrific player. Yeah. That's interesting. So I see him really calm under pressure. Uh, when people are are pressing him, he just is able to evade it with clever passes. He knows where people are, takes his time, is quite cool on the ball. I like that. But also he's big and fast, so that's useful for a defender. And his positioning seems to be good, but I'd not watched him in Germany that much. So anyway, what I saw with Croatia generally. So the midfield's very good, and they can pass the ball around. Uh, Modric would often go furthest forward, but they just can't get the ball into the final third. And when they do, there's no quality. Like Vlasic is not that great, I don't think. Kramaric the same. Uh, Perisic is all right, but he's at the, the latter he's end of his career. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this, you know, he realized he was really quick maybe five years ago. He's still fast, but he's not quite as explosive as he once was. So basically, Croatia are great at keeping the ball in the midfield area. Very good at keeping the ball in the midfield. But then they just couldn't really get it forward. And then the fullbacks didn't want to go forward too much to overload and allow the wide players inside because they were scared of what Morocco could do because I thought Bufal and Ziyech were uh, excellent and Nezrid had a good game as well. But the real absolute champs of Morocco and where they were getting all their joy was from the, the fullbacks. So they've got, you see me in Scotland have Tierney and Robertson at left back. Yeah. These guys have Masrawi and Hakimi. Hakimi plays for Ooh. PSG. Yeah. Uh, he is excellent, proper, like he'd be good at any position on this right side of the pitch, like yeah. easily. So what he'd often do is he'd race up, so he'd have a, it's quite an advanced starting position, but what Morocco would do, would work the ball over to the left-hand side 
And then someone like, I don't know, uh, Unahi or Amrabat, who's another good player in this game, actually. Loads of it. Really aggressive Morocco as well, no ball. Um, and not letting Morocco, uh, Croatia play out. They would work the ball to the left side and then he'd be able to hook, Unahi would be able to hook a ball out to the on-running fullback and that would just force Croatia back every single time, have to race back. And that's where they're getting their joy from, these fullbacks. Masrawi, and they're always going up and down. And uh, then Morocco push forward. And because they've got players like ZX, it's actually really decent. Like he's not had the best of careers at Chelsea so far, but he's a magic at Ajax. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think they're quite a good team, Morocco. I, I thought in my, in my, again, my research pre- previewing the tournament, I thought Morocco looked like the, the teams I knew the least about, they're the, one of the best ones. And uh, yeah, they didn't surprise me about how good they were. And they were aggressive with the press as well. And that's one of the reasons as well that Croatia just couldn't get the ball from defence to midfield to attack. They had to keep going long and then Kramac couldn't hold it up. So they were just kept numb. So it was very much a nil-nil. Rooney! <laughs> you know what it is about Morocco? No, no, I'm so sorry. We don't have time. Okay, we have to move okay. on because we're running out of time now. But I will just quickly tell you that Group F, which is Belgium, Croatia, Morocco and Canada, uh, that's a tight group. That's a tough group. Maybe no standouts right now. So that's going to be really exciting for us yeah. to pay attention to next week. It's a great group. But we have to move on. Sorry, Seb. We'll come to talk about that's Morocco okay. again in, in a few days' time. But let us move on to points are bad before we finish for today. And I can tell you it's been an interesting day. It's been a very interesting day. JJ Bull, you've had a bad day. <laughs> oh, no, it's copyright, yeah. You've had a bad day. Yeah. You've picked the wrong points. You've done a bad thing, and now you're last. Yeah? Uh, on 14 points, you added 14 points today. Oh, my uh, God. Which was almost <laughs> as many points as you had in the entire tournament so far. That sounds like you a were on, lot. You were on a total of 17 before. You are no longer first. Okay? Uh, but you were last for today, which means that you do get to pick first. Uh, I will tell you that Seb Stafford Bloor was third for today on 11 points added okay. and john and joe that's me uh were uh were You're both joint there, first with just 10 added so i'll come to the grand totals later but for the time being let's do our predictions for tomorrow and jj bolt as the loser of the day you go first i'd like to hear your prediction please for switzerland cameroon oh we're doing this right now aren't we we're doing it right now uh, switzerland cameroon I'm going to say 1-0 Switzerland. You think 1-0 Switzerland. Okay, now Seb, it's Switzerland-Cameroon for you, please. 2-0 Switzerland. You think 2-0 Switzerland. Yes, I do. Okay, yes. I'll let John go uh, next because we technically were joint. Uh, his first choice was 2-0, but he went for a 2-1 in second, so we'll give him that. And therefore, I will say 0-0. I think that's got a 0-0 written all over it, that one. Okay, back to JJ for Uruguay, Career Republic. I will say 1-0 to Uruguay. 1-0 to Uruguay. Okay. And Seb Staffordblow? I will say 1-1. You think that's a 1-1. Fine. John's predictions for Uruguay, uh, that was a 2-0 he was looking for. Fine. I think it's going to be a 1-0. Oh, oh God. There's too many numbers here. A 2-1. Yes? Just because that's the last one left. Yes. Yes. Uh, Portugal. These are very exciting games. These are, the tomorrow is amazing. Portugal, Ghana. What do you think? 3 0. 3 0 Portugal. Portugal yeah. You don't think Ghana have got any goals in them, no? No. You've predicted uh, all, so far I all to Carl teams. Ghana. You've predicted uh, uh, winning teams to, to, to win against teams that score no goals tomorrow in all three games, by the way. Well, I played another predictions game with some of my friends, and I was doing really well at that until the last two days as well. So basically, I'm going to be wrong from now on. I hope so. But. I think Portugal are very good and yeah. I did a bit of work with Carl on some of the previews on Ghana and he told me about Ghana so therefore I think Portugal did, will win. What did he say about Ghana? 
Uh, Before I make my prediction. Well, I can't remember, but I think it was bad. So. Okay, they're fine. pretty limited. They're, they're limited. limited. They, I think they got the lowest FIFA ranking of all the teams in the World Cup. They didn't have a good Afcon either, so mm. yeah, tricky one. Okay, well, what's your prediction then, John? I'm gonna go. You just said you called me Joe. That was weird. I called you John, actually. That was even weird. But your name's Seb. Yeah, I am Seb. Seb Halford's to, floor. What's I your am prediction? Going to say two nil Portugal. You're gonna say a two nil Portugal. Okay. Well, that's John's uh, uh, first prediction gone. His second was four nil. So we'll give him a four nil there for John. And I am going to say, I think Ghana are going to score a goal. And I think, I think Portugal, I don't think they're going to do that well. I'm going to say this is a 1-1 game. Yeah? Oh, I like that. Brazil-Serbia. This is the final. I mean, that is such an exciting game. And you know what? Having seen already some of the bigger teams or the teams expected to win their opening games, having seen them lose, stumble, fall, fail at the first hurdle, all of these, uh, you know, different uh, negative uh, things. I should have stopped that sentence halfway through. I'm wondering if uh, Brazil, people aren't going to be necessarily aware of how strong the Serbian team is. It's not an easy game for Brazil, JJ. Well, that, that's just it. They have a good team and they play a nice style of football. Mm. And I actually think it'll be 1-1. I'm going to say 2-0 to Brazil. Okay. Well, that's very odd that I don't understand why. Um, Seb, health is floor. What do you think? 2-1 Serbia. 2-1 Serbia? Yeah. Whoa! I like Serbia. I like Serbia. Seb's going hot for tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what does John say on that one? Uh, he says 2-1 Brazil. Fine. Um, I think this is going to be... I'm predicting this is going to be the most fun game of the group stages. 4-4. Four, four. And really? I'm going to go I'm going to go with a 4-2. That's yeah? a lot of points, I like potentially. That. It's potentially a lot of points. And Brazil play a 4-2-4, four, four, so that's quite a nice that's, that makes sense, symmetry. It? Yes. Well, there we go. That's delightful. Okay, now let me tell you, so far, at the end of match day four, we have a new leader. I'm still the loser on 34 points. But guess who's joined me at the bottom of the pile? Yeah. With all in all the grease and the horror and the filth. Ah, the horror. It's me and Seb Halford's floor. There we go together. (laughs) Mad bovine and Halford's floor. Rummaging around on the floor in all the dirt. Yeah. Burying in the digging deeper holes in the soil on 34 points. That's where we are after four days. That's not good. Um, but also what's not good, JJ Bull, is you are now in uh, second place. I don't like that at all. Because John has pipped you. John had quite a strong day. He only added 10 points today, <laughs> which is still a lot. We're not good at this game. But you added uh, an absolutely extraordinary number. You added 14 points today. Is that like a good record? Hmm? Is that the record? Of so far, yeah. that is the biggest ad. Oh no, I'm, I also added 14, but I don't count as a legitimate competitor. So uh, in terms oh. of people who actually know what they're talking about, you've added the most so far and you should be embarrassed. You're now in second place. John yesterday concerned up not being able to close the gap. Look at this, points are bad. All of a sudden, yeah. one day, the gap has not only disappeared, it's widened in the other direction. Now I realise in all of my uh, drama that we forgot the most dramatic moment of points are bad, and that, of course, is to place our headphones on, please, and just enjoy uh, a oh. little bit of music here. This is going to take me back. Here we go. Now uh, I believe uh, producer Craig's going to give us a bit of music for points are bad, and it will close us out for today's episode. So I'll say thank you very much to JJ Bull the Bullard. Thank you very much to Sebastian Stafford Bloor, and of course Jamie and Craig producers. We'll be back tomorrow with John McKenzie. Hope you've all enjoyed yourself. Uh, but for now, enjoy yourself a little bit of Points Are Bad. Points are bad. They're really, really bad. Points are good. No, they're not. They're really bad. Yes.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.